Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. I hope you're doing well this morning. So good to see you. Uh, today we're going to continue in our message series, uh, What Faith Looks Like. We've been learning over the last several weeks that faith is something that can actually be seen. Uh, we think of it in terms of a, a deep-held conviction or something that's in our hearts, and, and we think, oh, that's deep inside of me. It's something immaterial, intangible. But the reality is that, that we see each other's faith. We also can see each other's lack of faith because it always manifests itself through the things that we do and sometimes even through the things that we don't do. So today we're going to continue in this message series talking about what is faith, what faith looks like. And we are building up, we are building up to the story of Christ's birth. And I'm going to ask you a really important question today. Then there's three words I'm going to encourage you not to forget. Three words I'm going to encourage you not to forget. But I want to ask you a question first. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at Hebrews chapter 11. And you want to say great people of faith, but that's not true. They're, they're really people of great faith. People of great faith. And they're just normal, ordinary, common people. You know, and even in that list of people, you find people like Rahab and in Scripture, the majority of the time, she's always called Rahab the, the harlot, the prostitute. There's one time that she's not called Rahab the harlot. It's actually in the genealogy of Jesus in, in Matthew's gospel. And isn't it really fascinating that the one time we forget about her past is when she is found in the genealogy of Christ. When we think about Christ and, and what it took for Him to come to us, she's just Rahab. And so God uses this woman of great faith. And then you see all these other people that are listed there in Hebrews chapter 11. And they went through so many things, uh, so many difficult things in their lives as well. Uh, we'll talk about some of those here in just a few moments. But many times these were folks who were called and and God said, I got something I, I want you to do. I want you to do something. For some, it was like, hey, I want you to build an ark. Flood's coming, would you build an ark? For others, it was like, hey, I want you to lead my people through sea, through a great sea on dry ground. Would you do that? Uh, Abraham, go to a place you don't know about. Abraham was going without knowing. Hey, many times people were called to do something. And it required faith for them to step out and to do that thing that God was calling them to do. But what about the situations or the occasions? Or what about when God does not say, I want you to go do this thing and it takes faith for you to do that? What about when God just simply hands you something? When something is just placed in your lap? situation you have to deal with some kind of circumstance that comes into your life well, what do you do then when God just says here it is 
You don't have to go do anything. I'm just asking you to trust me. It's almost like a hand that you're dealt. You didn't ask for it. You didn't want it. You didn't seek it. It was just placed upon you. And God just says, here it is. Will you trust me? That's what you see in Mary. You know, Mary is like from a, and I hate to even use this expression, from almost like a moral figure. And of course, she was, she was a normal person. And despite some Christian tradition, she wasn't some super Christian, super saint. She was a normal young girl, maybe 14, 15 years of age. And God just comes to her in the night through the angel Gabriel. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. You just have to receive this, accept it, and trust me. Mary responded in faith. Now, Mary and Joseph, they're not in the list of Hebrews chapter 11. But their faith stands out as great witnesses to us. But I want you to think about three words today. And I don't want you to forget these three words. It's going to be really important as we move forward. And I'm going to share a bunch of stuff today. And right now, my, my mind is like, it's like spaghetti, and I'm just grabbing pieces. Thank you, Edward. I appreciate that. Okay. Three words. Momentary. Light. Affliction. Momentary. Light. Affliction. Three words. Three simple words. In fact, why don't you... Just say them with me. It will, I think, will really help you to not forget them in the, in the week to come. Momentary. Light. Affliction. In, flat, in fact, let's do this in parts, okay? You're going to be my momentary people. You're my light people. You're my affliction people. And you're sitting there going, I want to change sides. Can't do that, okay? Momentary. Light. Affliction. You're not excited about being affliction, are you? Would y'all pray for them? Okay. Momentary. Light. Affliction. There you go. Don't forget those three words. Momentary. Light. Affliction. I got to share this with you. So last Sunday morning... In our, in our first service, we were carrying the, uh, the weight of Miss Sadie's surgery. Sadie Heath, four years old, was scheduled to have brain surgery Monday morning. And her family came in, uh, first service last Sunday morning. We all were together. And, and we knew that we needed to pray for Sadie. Um, she had some complications when she was born, overcame tremendous odds. Uh, some thought she would never walk, never talk. She's an active little cheerleader, four years old. Incredible. So we were just concerned about her, anticipating surgery on Monday. And so I knew that I didn't want to overwhelm her. 
by just a bunch of people coming over her and praying for her. So I talked to Brittany. I said, just slip out at the end of the service. Go grab her. Just sit her in your lap. The whole family. We just want the whole family to come. And we're just going to pray for the family. And we're going to ask the Lord to do something great this week and in, in bring in healing to Sadie, four years old, brain surgery, Monday morning. We prayed. And I remember standing right here. And by the way, God reminded me this this morning while I was getting ready to come today. Because I was thinking about what kind of week I've had. Everything's been going on. It's been crazy. Then all of a sudden, God puts my brain in rewind. And He just reminds me. And it's funny that God has to remind us of things. Because we're prone to forget. We're prone to forget. So I was reminded, wow, God. Where we were a week ago. So we prayed over her. And we said, Lord, would you even just touch her now? Yeah, we're hoping for great things on Monday. We're praying for that surgery. But God, would you just, would you touch her even now? Monday morning, I got up at 4.30 or left Benton at 4.30 with a pastor friend who's pastors with a pastor friend of the other side of Sadie's family. And we drove up to Louisville, walked into Norton's Children's Hospital, walked right into the waiting room, and the waiting room was full of people. And there's this little bitty kid's table sitting in the middle, and big old Dale Hargrove was sitting right there over that little kid's table. And you could just see it on his face, late night, early morning. I didn't even sit down. They called the family. They said, family, we, we need you to come back. I said to Denise, I said, hey, let me grab your bag. I'll, hop, I'll sit out here and watch your stuff. They, they said, no, you need to come too. So the whole family, both ministers, there's like eight, ten of us go back, which is kind of unusual for, you know, a pre-op room uh, to prepare someone for brain surgery. So I'm thinking we're going to go back and we're going to pray. And then they're going to go back. They're going to shave her little head. They are going to go in there. And whatever that mass is or fluid or whatever, they're going to look at that. They're maybe going to put a shunt in. She's already got one on the other side. That's what we're waiting for. Walk back there, and little Sadie met us at the door with her street clothes on. And Brittany looked at us, and she said to Sadie, she said, Sadie, do you want to tell them, or do you want me to tell them? And she just smiled, and, and then Brittany's like, okay, I'll tell them. Surgeon came in that morning, took scans of her brain, compared the scans to Friday, said that whatever that was, whether it be another cyst, whether it be a mass, fluid, whichever, it has diminished so much since Friday. I do not think surgery is necessary. We're not touching her. She can go home. She can go home. Just come back in January, we'll reevaluate. Surgery is not needed. Now, I'm going to tell you funny. I didn't say this in the first service. They text me Sunday night, Brittany and Dale. And they said, Sadie's eyes are just, all of a sudden, they're just blinking rapidly. And it scared them to death because they thought, Something's going on with her brain. And they text me, please pray. 
her eyes are just blinking rapidly. And, and so they called the doctor. The doctor said, I don't think it's related at all. She might even just have allergies. No worries at all. When we were walking out, and all of us walked out of that hospital together, we stopped in the hallway, and Dale looked at me, and he said, Brother Allen, he said, would you pray for us? I said, I can't. I said, there'll be snot all over this place. I said, I, I, I'm not kidding you. I will lose it. Brother Rick, who's actually my, my third cousin, pastor at Simsonia, I deferred to him, and I said, Brother, would you pray? And, and we prayed, and then as we started to leave, I said, I know. Like I'm a doctor, right? I know. I just got to believe that Sunday night when her eyes were blinking rapidly, the Spirit of God was touching her life. So the Lord is to be praised. We're very thankful for what happened this week. And, and I hope that encourages you today that regardless of what's going on in your life what you're dealing with what a friend's dealing with that man prayer changes things but that is so wrong prayer doesn't change anything god changes things but he does it through prayer he does it through prayer so today we're talking about faith and we're reminded these people who've been talked about in Hebrews chapter 11, common, normal people, it wasn't even their faith that caused great things to happen in their lives. It was the God of their faith. Faith was the vehicle. It was just the channel by which God expressed Himself through their lives. So today, we're going to continue to talk about faith. And we're going to move on into... Hebrews chapter 12. And don't forget my three words or our three words today. And when you think about all those folks who are listed at the end of chapter 11, I'm just going to share this with you and then we're going to read chapter 12 together and pray. I mean, these folks were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death. They were destitute. They were afflicted. They were, listen to me, ill-treated. And I'm going to go, I'm just going to go off the cuff for a second. In a minute. People of whom the world was not worthy is what the writer says in verse 38. People of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves, holes in the ground. All of these found approval through the avenue of faith. Then, chapter 12, verse 1. Here's where the encouragement to us comes from. The writer writing to a group of people who were persecuted to go back under the sacrificial system of the law in Jerusalem. He says, because of all of them. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. 
And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you, so that you will not grow weary, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Father, in the next few moments, I'm asking that your spirit uh, would give us, if you just gave us a portion of, of what you've already given us this morning, God, then it'll be enough. I pray that you give us clarity of thought. I pray, God, that for anyone who, for everyone who is here, that somehow by your Spirit, you will speak truth and you'll speak love and grace into each life. That people will leave this place uh, far more encouraged, far more hopeful than when they came in. I trust your Spirit to be our teacher. Uh, your spirit to be our guide. Uh, we give you this time. We offer this to you as a sacrifice of praise. And we thank you for what you're going to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, the analogy that the author uses, I would imagine in his heart and mind, he's thinking perhaps about the great Colosseum where great Olympic athletes would compete. He speaks of this great cloud of witnesses drawing from the lives of the people in chapter 11, drawing from their lives, from Moses, Abraham, Noah, uh, Rahab, Sarah, you name it, draws from their lives. And he says, we have, we have this great cloud of witnesses. And he's probably drawing from the Colosseum, imagining, you know, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people watching in on this event. And individuals are competing in the game. Perhaps these are uh, specifically the runners. They're running a race. It's, it's kind of like the, the, the picture that comes to my mind is when you walk into a sporting event and there's like thousands of people around. Kind of like the other night at uh, Reed Condor Gymnasium. A lot of people who were there. I walked in. It's one of those deals where you can see, you see everyone, but you, you, but you don't see anyone. Does that make sense? You see everyone. But you don't see anyone. It's like all the faces, they just kind of get blurred in the mass. It's almost like a cloud type experience. You see everyone, but you don't see anyone. A cloud of witnesses surrounding these people's lives. And I think at this point in time, I think it's very appropriate for us to, to put ourselves in their shoes. And to understand that the same cloud of witnesses that they had or the cloud of witnesses that we have, plus all your New Testament folks packed on top of it, plus Jesus as a, as a, as a great witness as well. But he's going to play a unique role in this event as it plays out. A lot of times when we think about witnesses, we think about people who are watching, Right? All these people who are watching, they're, they're watching us. And maybe for a second you would imagine 
they slip off to the concession stand, they grab some popcorn and a Diet Coke, they come back, they kick back, and they are witnessing the event that's taking place. And maybe from time to time, if you do good, they're like, hey, attaboy, good job. Throw back a few more popcorn, another sip of Diet Coke. They're watching. They're more like spectators. And their witness is a witness of watching. But I don't believe that's what the biblical writer has in mind. Because witnesses don't just see, but witnesses also express. They tell something. They share something. There's a story about them. It's almost like these are witnesses, but their lives are speaking of what can happen when you trust God in faith. Through all the things I mentioned, sawn into, beaten, desolate, ill-treated, all of that. These are witnesses whose lives speak. So it's almost now like, it's like the, the posters that the kids that you had on your walls when you were a kid, you were growing up. Who was your favorite athlete? Who inspired you? Uh, now, yeah, we won't go there. But anyway, who was a, I don't want some of you thinking about posters on your walls because it might not be good. But anyway, the athletes that you had on your wall, Michael Jordan, Derek Jeter, Yadier Molina. Okay, thanks. Okay. Uh, anybody else who just comes to your mind? You think it would be uh, Julius Irvin? Walter Payton? Yeah. Who else? Larry Bird? Yes. Larry Bird, the legend. Yeah. Yeah. So think about these, these athletes. And so what happens is they're not in your room clapping for you. But you look to them as inspirations of what could be. Inspirations of what could be. These individuals in chapter 11, they're witnesses in the sense that you look to them as inspirations of what could be. Inspirations of what could happen in your life if you walk by faith. You're surrounded. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, let us lay aside, put off, cast off every encumbrance. Some of you are going, what is an encumbrance? It sounds too much like cucumber. What is an encumbrance? It is a weight. It is something that bogs you down. It is something that drags you down. Now, for training purposes, some of you might think of like ankle weights, right? Ankle weights. Ran across some in the uh, room, the back room of our house the other day. I use them every single day. I'm kidding. I don't. Some of you are going, you need to. But anyway, think of those ankle weights. How they, they create resistance. They create drag. They're, you think of ankle weights in the sense of, of, of creating stamina and strength in your legs. But to run freely, you want to be free of the weight that can drag you down. But think of it in terms of like trappings. There's trappings of this world that will capture your focus and your attention. And these things, once flooding your heart and mind, 
They will slow you down. They are encumbrances to a walk of faith. Have you ever found yourself just, you get fixated on something, you're, you're thinking about something, it's like all you can think about, and, and your, your mind is just getting overloaded, and then the next thing you know, your, your sense of the Spirit, your sense of walking with God, your sense of what He wants to do in your life, it just gets lost. Because you've weighted yourself down with cares and concerns that hold you back in your walk of faith. And they're not just things that hold you back, but they're things that in the grand scheme of things really don't matter. He says, cast these things to the side so that, you can, so that your legs can be free to run the race. And he speaks of the sin that so easily entangles us. It's like walking into a cobweb. Have you ever walked into a cobweb that you didn't know was there? Walk out on the back deck of the house. One night at the end of the summer, the spider had spun this huge cobweb. I walked right into the middle of it. And man, it's in my hair. It's in my ears. It's all over me. You spin all that. You're, you're picking. It's, that's the way that, that sin can often do. It's like a sticky cobweb. And you get entangled with this. And, these, and the point is, these things... And your focus can keep you from running your race freely. And isn't it interesting that he says to let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is an endurance race. This is not a sprint. It does not happen over a short period of time. It happens over a long period of time. And please understand that, that whether it be something that you do that is great or encouraging or that you might think of it as being big in your life, most of the time what's going to make the biggest difference in your life and is going to speak the most, we're talking about witnesses, what's going to speak the most is not anything you do great in a short period of time. It's really what you're able to do well over a long period of time. There's a lot to be said about faithfulness and about consistency, about a stick to itness of heart and mind, about a, 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 a perseverance of will to keep going, not to run 100 miles an hour, not to slow down and go only 20 but to consistently maybe just run 50 over a long period of time. It's what you do consistently over a long period of time of your life that matters. I told a group of football players this past fall. I said, in your life, you're going to learn that how you define success and failure is going to change tremendously. As you get out of athletics, as you get into life, and even in athletics today, Success, so many times, is defined by faithfulness, commitment, and determination. Not necessarily by the score on the scoreboard at the end of the game, but what you're able to do consistently and faithfully over a long period of time. And if you think that doesn't work in marriage life, or family life, or raising kids, or a career, then hello, what planet are you living on? Faithfulness. 
steadfastness. I mean, days when you just don't feel like it and know you're not going to hit a home run, but you just get up and you keep going. In your marriage, with your kids, with your work, with your calling of ministry or life. How many times do you think I walk out of here and I say, God, you did everything you did today in spite of me. And all I did was show up. I didn't quit. I didn't throw in the towel. I just trusted you to do something. I cannot tell you how many times. Somebody joked with me just the other night. Said, I've noticed some of your sermon illustrations come from Saturday night. Yeah. Because the Lord gave them to me Sunday morning. It's amazing what God does. Just to stick to itness. Faithfulness. Commitment. This is an endurance race. It is a marathon. It is not a sprint. The race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes. So here's where we go. We, we hear the witnesses of inspiration around us. But their lives is not what we run to. Their lives is not the goal. In verse 2, he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So Jesus, he's the inspiration. And he's the goal. He's the author. And he's the perfecter of faith. And I love this next part. Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. When's the last time you just stopped in your life and you thought about the cross? You just thought about the endurance race, if you will, that Christ ran and what he had to go through. And it shouldn't surprise you to discover and to realize that the very same power, the very same spirit that enabled him to do what he did is the same spirit and the same power that will encourage you, that will enable you to run the race that is set before you. To do and go through whatever it is that's in front of you. Whether it's something that, that God says, hey, I want you to do this. Or God just says, here's what I'm giving to you. Here's what I'm dealing to you in your life. My grandparents were card players. Card players. Friday nights, they would get together with an older couple. And they would play cards every Friday night. They taught us how to play cards. I can remember as a kid playing cards with my grandparents, with my uncles. We'd play rook. I'd get a, a hand. I'd look at that hand. And I can't tell you how many times as a kid I'd be like, redeal. <laughs> redeal. I'd love to have a redeal. Any of you today, would you like a redeal? Anybody need a redeal? Shuffle them again. Give me something else. I'm not digging what's in my hand right now. When the hand came to Mary, 
She didn't go through all the ups, the challenges, the scandal, the talk. What people would say about her. Her betrothed husband wanted to, to put her away secretly. That doesn't mean he wanted to take her out behind the barn and shoot her. I mean, he wanted to put her away. The scandal and the talk. There's nothing in the Lucan text where she dwells and thinks of any of that. She never ponders her circumstances. She just says, whatever you have for me, God, let it be. Let it be according to your word. You don't get to choose the hands you're dealt with. But I want you to know something. And I encourage somebody this week in the hospital over this very thing. There's nothing that will ever come to you that doesn't first go through God. It may seem like an impossible hand. But in the story of Mary, at the end of it, the Scripture says that with God all things are possible. He's not calling you to do anything when it's dealt to you, but just to trust Him. That's it. And you don't look at your circumstances and, and this or that, because if you start looking at everything around you, you're going to lose sight of your goal. That's why you fix your eyes on Jesus. Not the stuff around you. And it says that He is an example to you. He, his life is a witness. He endured the cross. But He did it for the joy. The joy. The joy that was set before Him. And you ask the question, what was His joy? What was His joy? His joy is you. That's why He did what He did. He did not want heaven without you. His joy is you. Regardless of what you've been through, regardless of what you've done, regardless of mistakes you've made in your life, His joy is you. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before Him, a relationship with you. It's all He wants out of you, by the way. He's not wanting you to jump hoops, do religious gymnastics, backflips or turnovers. He just wants you. And then once your life is in His hands, and you trust Him, then He'll do some really great things through your life. He just wants you. So you set your eyes on Him. Why? Because He set His eyes on you. Just as you are. You are like a trophy to Him. You are a prize to Him that is worthy of death and suffering and sorrow. And as you think about His example of enduring the cross, I want you to understand something that changed 
my perspective, when I was going through a very dark time, the Lord reminded me that Jesus did everything He did in the presence of His enemies. That He never made public conversation. He never healed someone on a city street. He never talked to masses or taught or encouraged. That He did not do that with voices of criticism, of negativity. He did everything He did in the presence of His enemies. Consider Him. Consider Him. And as you run this race, you're going to have to say to yourself and remind yourself, maybe even daily, as Paul said about sufferings in this world, momentary, light, affliction. It's just, it's just, momentary, light, affliction. Even when you compare it to the cross of Gethsemane, it is still just momentary. He didn't call you to die for somebody's sins. Light. He didn't call you to die a death on a cross. In the presence of scoffers. He didn't call you to bleed on a public square like a filthy criminal. Momentary. Light. Affliction. It's just momentary. It is light. And it is, yes, affliction. But it is, what is it again? It's, and it is, and it is, but it's momentary. Light. Affliction. And you keep going. Now, many days, I'm going to show you what I feel like sometimes. When I start thinking about all the mud, and I think about the rain, I think about the snow, all the, all the junk around me, and that stuff I get my eyes focused on from time to time, I'm going to show you a picture of sometimes what it's like for me when I run this race. What it looks like for me, right there. That's it. Man, that dude right there. He couldn't see the light of day if he wanted to. But here's how I think God wants us to run. And here's how I think we can run. Rain hadn't stopped. Shoot, that one kid's wearing slides. Are you kidding me? Don't you know his mama's off to the side going, Boy, you need to quit running out there. You got them slides on, you're going to bust your head wide open. He don't care. There's joy in the rain. That's how he wants you to be able to run your race. And you can. You can. By faith in him. Some of you got to understand his joy is you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, man, you can't run. You can't, you, you have no go until he's there. 
can't run to, to Him until you've proclaimed Him as Lord of your life. And you've given your life to Christ. You're like a boxer just fighting in the air and you're, you have nothing to, to pursue. But He's already pursued you. He's already done everything that needs to be done for you to have a relationship with Him. And all you have to do is just swallow your pride and say, yes, Lord. I want to give You my life. I want to know You. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.